Hey guys, and welcome back to Tennis 360, news podcast, Quality Shot Tennis, where we talk about all things tennis. My name's Anthony Hirsch. And I'm Eliza Westgate. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, so we have a few things to talk about this week. We had Guadalajara, we had Labor Cup, we had a few other uh, things going on. Um, we have some uh, big tournaments ahead as well in China, so we're going to go over all of that. And uh, the big news this week is Guadalajara uh, Zachary getting her first uh, title since 2019. First title as a top player. The last time she won a title, uh, she was outside of the world's top 50, and she finally gets the win um, in a tournament that really had uh, was a really weird tournament to be at WTA 1000, but still, Zachary got the win, and all credit to her. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a temptation to look at a depleted player field and sort of like put an asterisk yeah. next to her name. Um, but, you know, ultimately the, you you compete against the players that show up and are in the best form at that tournament. And, yeah. you know, Jabal couldn't take advantage of her opportunity as the number one seed there to, to go ahead and have a good run. And I think, um, you know, Sakari came into this tournament as only the uh, second uh, top 10 player um, off of the off of a bad, you know, first round exit at the US Open, was really feeling mentally pretty, um, pretty weak, pretty unstable. Um, and, you know, had a had a good go of it in San Diego. She was competing there without her team. Um, and then comes down to Mexico and obviously gets the title um, in, in good fashion in straight sets and across the way. And, um, you know, first title she's gotten in four years um, with her coach. So, you know, big mental barrier for her to get over. I think, um, yes, it's a depleted field. And um, one always questions, like, what would have happened if, if we'd had more of the top 10 competing? But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's still tough to win those types of tennis matches, especially when you come in with like, oh, here's my opportunity. The, the field is so depleted. Everybody's expecting a top player to get it done and to win. That is quite a bit of pressure to play under, especially given kind of the season she's been having and the performances and results that could have easily um, kind of overcome her. So uh, congrats to her for, for a first title, um, only her second WTA title. And for someone who's been inside the, the top 10 now for the last few years, um, really important to see her kind of push on and make a change. And hopefully, um, I think she said some good comments about how she listened to Coco Goff's uh, US Open interview where Goff had said, you know, there's much more important things in life than tennis and winning tennis matches. And she said that really helped her put her own tennis into perspective. And sometimes it's easy as a tennis player traveling across the world, it's your life, you know, um, there's, it's easy to lose a perspective on what it is that you're actually doing at the end of the day. And so I think for Maria, yeah. going back to the basics, it's a tennis match. You love this sport. Let's have fun. You're a warrior, like you're good at competing. Um, and so hopefully that'll help her really um, switch things up mentally for the rest of this season, have a good go at trying to qualify uh, for the WTA finals. And um, yeah, one can only hope that this helps her turn a page on future tournaments that she she can really start bringing home titles. She's 28 now and kind of needs to start happening for her if she really wants to solidify a legacy within the WTA. Yeah. I agree, I agree with everything. I mean, I think the negative emotions can get in the way of her. She starts yelling at herself and that translates to errors and the mental side can be a big thing with Zachary. Um, and it's great to see her overcome that in the final. She was showing a lot of positive emotion, really trying to get the crowd involved. And I thought that um, that's a really good sign for her. 
And, um, and yeah, like you're saying, it's a depleted field, but still it's a tournament at the highest level and you still have to beat who's in front of you. The pressures, the mental pressures on you are the same, you know, the points that are on the line. Um, so it was great for Zachary to, uh, to be able to overcome that. And then there's also a good run from Caroline Garcia, who also hasn't been in great form recently. She found, uh, she found some really good form as well. Um, yeah, it was an, it was an interesting tournament. Yeah, she did. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, Zachary needed it too. I feel like the, the mental kind of, um, strain on Zachary, if she couldn't figure it out one more time, I feel like it would have been really tough for her to kind of turn that around. This is her sixth final just in 2022 and 2023 alone. This is her third WTA 1000 final, but whether 1000 or another, another final, she just wasn't able to find a way through, uh, any of those finals to pick up a title and go all the way, even though she was making lots mm-hmm. of finals. So uh, if she couldn't do it one more time against Caroline Dahlheide, who's been really impressive this week, actually, but who was out, ranked outside mm-hmm. the world's top 100 at the start of the week, if she can find a way there, that the momentum, uh, it would have been really hard for her to find momentum to keep on winning titles. But her finding a way at this tournament, even with the depleted field, is going to really give her a lot of momentum moving forward and i think she'll think of it as a wta 1000 title that's that's how she should think of it even with the pleated field because you can only beat who's in front of you and uh zachary did that exactly and i think um you know the the women's uh masters tournaments this year has been won by a different player each tournament like nobody's won two masters tournaments this year so it just shows you how much variety how much depth there is within the wta field and who's winning and picking up these types of titles and it shows you how difficult it is right that you know that even the top players aren't winning back-to-back masters titles um within a season so i think you know not not to take away anything from sakari there she should think of it as a 1000 she got her body in the right position to be able to compete this week which not everybody else was able to do and you know she also did come through a top player in garcia who, as you mentioned, was has really been struggling this season. Um, in 2022, yeah. she was back on the rise, did really well through the grass court tournaments, got to, I think, the semis at the US Open in 2022. And this year, it just hasn't, hasn't been the right stack of cards for her. And I know right before the US Open, I think a, a close family member of hers passed away. Um, and so that contributed to, you know, just some personal life and challenges that one one faces. And so it's kind of hard to regroup and try to find some momentum again. She was really playing some good tennis, um, you know, ultimately got got beat up pretty badly by Sakari in the semis. Um, just too many unforced errors off of her racket, just couldn't control the ball. Um, but yeah, Garcia is another one of those personalities that is really great for the WTA tour. She won the WTA finals last year. She's now with this run to the semis back inside the top 10, just about in the live ranking. So, um, you know, not the season she would have wanted or hoped for, um, but, you know, showing that there's signs of resilience there and um, hopefully some opportunities to turn that around the remainder of the season. Yeah, totally. I think, um, yeah, Caroline Garcia was showing a lot of potential, I think, after she won the WTA finals with her very kind of aggressive game style, very creative as well, taking a lot yeah. of returns very uh, close to the service line. I, I felt like uh, she could really pick it up and uh, turn it into something really kind of massive. And we just didn't really see that come to fruition, I think. But um, yeah. and also, uh, I think it was a uh, Cincinnati title last year as well, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, 
it was uh, it was kind of unfortunate to see it go down. Uh, we've seen a lot of players who do really well to end the seasons uh, at the WTA finals as winners, not have great seasons the next year for whatever reason. But um, yeah. hopefully uh, now that we get to faster courts and indoor courts as we go to the end of the season, hopefully uh, Caroline Garcia can um, start uh, finding her good winning results as well. So I think um, I that that's going to be, uh, yeah, and I think that that's uh, – Something to look out for um, as we get to the faster courts that really do her game uh, very well as she steps inside the court and it's just uber aggressive. That's been going to a lot of errors and she's just not really been able to find her game and play very effectively, get the depth that she wants to on her shots. But um, now she's finding the right kind of level. But yeah, Guadalajara was a weird tournament going in, only two top 10 players playing, Zachary and then also Ons Jabor. But it's good to see finally those um uh, Zachary have uh, have the good uh, form that she hasn't really had recently. Hopefully, Ons Jabor can find some of that form as well. Although she had a good win over Alicia Parks early, but then she lost to Trevisan, who had a good week herself. And it resulted yeah. the Guadalajara, sorry, Guadalajara resulted in some good runs from players you re wouldn't really expect to have very good runs in a one thousand. But it was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think one worth highlighting in there is Sophia Kennan. She had a good week in San Diego uh, the week prior, made the final, lost to Kuchikova in a tight three-setter. Um, and then here she made the semis. Um, so she's up another 22 points to be ranked at world number 31. So she's back inside the top 40 for the first time since January of 2022. Huge for her. Obviously, after winning the AO, has completely fallen off a cliff. Um, and we've just not seen her play the same level that we would have wanted to. So fantastic for her to have two good tournaments back to back, both at a, you know, a 250 and then a 1000. So hopefully she'll kick on from here and, and bring in some good momentum moving forward. I think also, as you mentioned, um, some kind of, you know, depleted field and some newer names uh, that folks may not be familiar with. Caroline Dollahide, the American who made the final, um, ended up losing to Sakari. She's... Um, been ranked inside the top 100 before, uh, just uh, reached her career high ranking, I think, in May of this year, but has kind of been yo-yoing yeah. around. She's, she's 25. Yes. Um, she's really been grinding hard on the Challenger Tour, um, just really, you know, kind of trying to get into the top 100 consistently, make it into the draws of, of these 1000s and slam tournaments. Um, and so this run will move her up to 42 in the rankings if she can maintain that. Uh, for the end of the year and really put herself in a good situation to have some good warm-up tournaments in the run-up to the AO and then even um, make a couple rounds at the Australian Open. That would really solidify her place as a, you know, top 100 player. Uh, she's a lot of fun to watch. She's also a good doubles player. Um, someone who you should kind of have on your radar as, you know, um, a, an individual who could kick on and, um, you know, pick up a couple maybe smaller titles here and there next season um, if she's kind of able to make that consistent transition inside the top 100 so great result for her and then um also the other name which i mentioned last week who needed a good run was taylor townsend she made it to the third round um narrowly missing out in three sets as well but she's now back inside the top 100 for the first time since becoming a mom i always love uh -huh. those stories love our moms back inside the top 100 obviously she's a top 10 doubles player as well and i do think um you know she's a lefty um I, I think she has the game and the power and the weapons um, to push on inside the top 100 and really um, make a good name for herself within that and, yeah. and win a couple titles next year, maybe. Um, so we'll see. But I think that was great to kind of see her take advantage of a depleted field and make sure that she got her name 
inside those rankings. Yeah. I mean, she's been doing really well in doubles, but in singles, it hasn't really been there for her. But I mean, obviously she has the hand skills that are amazing and she has the very, a lot of power on her shots. Um, so that's very, uh, that's very good to see from Townsend. I didn't know that she was breaking inside top 100, but yeah, Dollhide, very big player, very, uh, very booming forehand that we saw in that final as well. It was actually a close final for that first set. I think it was nearly an hour first set, but uh, before mm-hmm. Zachary got it done, but Dollhide played very well. Uh, was also playing pretty creatively, serving and volleying, serving from uh, yeah. near the doubles alley, uh, running round to the forehand on the returns. It was very, it was very good stuff from Dollhide. Very promising, very fearless. I mean, if you didn't know beforehand, I, I don't think that you would have really known that it was a pl- uh, who was the player playing inside for first WTA 1000 final. She really played mm-hmm. like, I don't know, really kind of. Um, uh, like she was a veteran already there for a long time. So uh, that was good to see yeah. from Dollhide. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there's also like Arango reached the quarterfinals. I, I think there were names that yeah. uh, a lot of people, even tennis fans hadn't really heard of before that had like good yeah. runs in this tournament. Uh, so it's just like kind of wild. And there's actually another WTA tournament going on the same week, Guangzhou, uh, Guangzhou I think. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's um, that was the WTA 250 uh, that, was go- that was going on. I think... Um, that uh, that tournament, obviously, although WTA 250s in general, I think now top 20 players can't play in them, I'd like to say, if that's right. But I think that uh, um, there were a lot of uh, a lot of names in there that I think uh, because Guadalajara was going on the same week, uh, weren't that familiar with uh, or at the top of the rankings. But in Guadalajara, even there were not there were a lot of names making it far that you wouldn't really expect like Travis on as well, who I mentioned earlier, although Travis on has been as high as top 20, top 25 in the world, but at this point, not particularly expected. Yeah. Certainly interesting choices in terms of, you know, what tournaments players are choosing to play in, in the, in the kind of um, finalization of this calendar year. Uh, You know, you have a master's 1000 going on that has a, depleted field but when players are making their um assessments as to which tournaments they're going to make you don't necessarily know who's pulling out and not pulling out um and i think sometimes you know those those players who are ranked let's say like 80 to kind of 40 in the world they might look at the scheduling and say hey i'm going to base myself in asia i'd rather play the 250 in guangzhou and china then i'm moving on to tokyo and back to china and i'm going to kind of base myself there for the month of you know, September, October, avoid a lot of traveling around. That's, you know, it's it's a lot of budget to go from US Open to San Diego to Guadalajara to Tokyo to China. And then, yeah. you know, um, so kind of following the tour around. So I think there were a number of players that perhaps, um, you know, made their plans to play in Guangzhou and then saw the draw in Guadalajara and thought, oh man, maybe I missed an opportunity there, um, including players like a Lynette, who was the number one seed. Um, perhaps would have had a, you know, a good run in Guadalajara. So that's kind of how the mix ended up that way, where we had a couple, um, you know, higher ranked players that were competing in a 250 rather than the 1000 that was going on at the same time. Um, But nonetheless, you know, still a a kind of good tournament there where Chinese player um, Wang did win the title. Um, so before last week, the 22-year-old Chinese player had an 11 and 21 record at tour level this year. She slipped to world number 88 from 49 in January, but um, she'll move up uh, back to world number 58 with that title. That's her first WTA tour title. So congrats to her um, for getting that done in front of her home crowd. And Lynette's a good player. You know, she's made a couple 
runs at slams before um and you know she's very consistent kind of tricky to play against so good good little tournament there and um you know big boost in terms of her points that'll really help her finish off the year in the right direction yeah and i think that that was a uh, great tournament um any kind of 250 while a big tournament like in a thousand is going on is always a good opportunity for players to um kind of take advantage of draws that might not be as full if there weren't tournaments going on the same week so i think that yeah. that was uh, that's a good thing um for sure um and then, yeah, like you were mentioning, I mean, the uh, kind of tennis uh, schedule, uh, I mean, people, the players bounce around from city to city. It can forget, it, you can forget how hard it is actually to travel and get the resources, get the money and actually uh, put in the effort and the work to travel from city to city. And sometimes it's just not worth it. So, yeah, I think players uh, took advantage of uh, what they had in front of them. Absolutely. And um yeah, I haven't seen Wong play very much, but uh, what I what I have seen of her, she's been very impressive. So, um, yeah. And then uh, we can uh, then talk about also about Labor Cup that happened this yeah. year, uh, this week as well. Um, so Labor Cup. Uh, okay, well after four years of <laughs> there being uh, Team Europe, uh, kind of just completely taking the advantage, and people not sure if Team World was ever going to stand up to it. Now, Team World just cruises to an 11-2 win. They only needed one win on the final day. They got that in doubles to start the day with uh, Shelton Tiafo. I mean, it was not – it's like um, – it, it's something that I always thought might happen because obviously when you have Federer and Nadal playing for Team Europe, obviously it seems like, oh, Team Europe is completely unstoppable. But now that Federer is retired, Nadal is a bit older, he can play this year – Either Zverev's not playing, he was a great addition to Europe as well. I, I like it, it, Team World. I think finally found a really big advantage in the uh, in the uh, um, in the event, uh, and there were no, but there were no top five players playing for either side, yeah. which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Runa and Sitspas were supposed to play. Fokina and uh, who was it? Fokina and uh, Arthur Feast, who was an alternate, they took their spots. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that. The uh, it was really interesting to see Team World uh, get the win. And I think a lot of it came down to uh, who Team Europe was uh, putting in, for example, to play for doubles, like players like uh, Davidovich Fokina, Arthur Fis. I feel yeah. like they didn't have a lot of experiment experience playing doubles, and that was pretty apparent. Yeah. So I think that that was that was a big part of it. But yeah, Team World getting the win 11 2. I was happy to see it as Team World here from the States. I was happy yeah. to see Team World get the win. Um, but it was certainly exciting, and it's going to be interesting coming into next year and who Team Europe gets uh, gets to play for them. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we want to talk about de depleted fields. Labor Cup was certainly one that yeah. was depleted, and Absol especially when you yeah, take a absolutely. look at, you know, Team Europe. Obviously, Monfils is a fun, entertaining addition, but he's not ranked inside the top 100 at the moment. Um, we have... Uh, you know, Rude and Rublev kind of being those those top folks, but you know, you would pick out some of yeah. those um, the Vidovich, Fakina, and Fuses, you know, as we weaker links there. Um, and you know, it's understandable why Zverev wasn't going to compete in Labor Cup. He has points he needs to get um, to try and solidify a top ten uh, year end finish. Um, Runa's injured. But, you know, you would hope next year that you would see a stronger field from Team Europe that would include either a Tsitsipas, a Zverev, maybe a Djokovic or a Medvedev, or, um, you know, even even your Zverev or Runa in there as well. So I think, um, you know, depleted field, 
I looked at that lineup and I just sort of thought Team World should have this in the bag. You also, as you mentioned, had players in there that I think, you know, know each other well, that have better doubles experience. Obviously, Shelton coming from college tennis has doubles experience. I think um, some more of those American guys like do play doubles here and there for a little bit of fun. Um, so they were they were always going to have a bit more camaraderie um, to, to share amongst them. I thought the uh, tension between Monfils and Oje Aliasim was, yeah. was pretty interesting. So for the folks who didn't see that, um, Oje Aliasim, just for context here, he really hasn't had a good season. He's really kind of um, underperformed at, at the majors, hasn't gotten a title under his belt. Um, and this time last year when he played in Labor Cup, he had really good performance. He was like a, a player of the tournament. And it kind of was a springboard for him to go off and finish the year with a couple titles and and do fairly well to round things off. And I think maybe he was looking at this opportunity the same way as like, I need to get a win here and kind of try to give myself some energy finishing the season. Um, so he was playing Monfils. It was early on in the first set. And Ojeel Yassim was asking for ATP like time rules to be implemented. I think Monfils was sort of taking his time a little bit in between serves. He was, you know, trying to play entertainer as Monfils does. And Ojeel yeah. seems like, I want to play. I want a serious match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Monfils is like, I'm here to have fun. And and they were going back and forth. He's like, yeah. well, I don't know, you know, who brought you here and what they told you this was, but I want to play. So I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting because obviously it's an ATP recognized tournament, but there's no points on the line for it. It is kind of a glorified exhibition tournament. So what did you think? I was... I. I don't know. I was, um, I, I felt it might, it might have been like a little much from Ojeliasim, like to kind of try to be that intense. But at the same time, I understand where he's coming yeah. from. What did you think? I thought it was interesting. I, I thought the most interesting part about that was who the two players on the court actually were, because you would yeah. not expect a kind of, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Kind of an interaction, confrontation between two players to be from players like Oje Aliasim and also from Gil Monfils. I mean, the, Monfils always just so nicely mannered on the court and uh, Oje Aliasim barely ever speaks or lets out that much emotion yeah. on the court. It's like, it was, it was hard to even believe what we were watching. And it was first, of course, Oje Aliasim coming to Monfils and saying, Monfils needs to speed up. But then it was Monfils actually kept, was coming over to Oje Aliasim's side and saying, trying to confront him and say, come on, we're, this is not so serious. And the interesting th thing about it is it depends on the person, like how seriously right. they take Labor Cup. It's like it's yeah. not it's not like the U.S. Open where it's like everybody would be like, oh, yeah, take it seriously. It's not like necessarily like um, Hopman Cup back in the day or like uh, one of these exhibitions where if somebody does something funny it's like nobody is gonna completely just yeah. like nobody is going to necessarily shout at them or say them say that that was a bad thing to do um, I think that that is a big kind of uh, thing that uh, that made it interesting was that is, is is Labor Cup something that needs to be taken that seriously? Obviously, it was started by two of the greatest who ever played, Rod Labor and Roger Federer, and uh, it's played in honor and in spirit of them. So uh, in that way, you definitely should take it seriously. There's a crowd that came to watch. It is listed in ATP head-to-heads when a player wins and loses. Like you said, the event is ATP sanctioned. So it's... Um, it's, it's hard to say what's what, but I thought it was very interesting, entertaining. I actually sided a little bit more with Oje Aliasim, just just because I, I felt like, uh, I don't know, I, I felt like 
if, if you've come to play there, then you, you should know what everybody is expecting. And I think the more expectations that it is to be taken a little bit more seriously, mm -hmm. but um, it was interesting. I didn't side hugely with either one. I was just uh, happy to see it due to how entertaining and uh, surprising it was. It was like, wow. And it, yeah. it did bring up an important conversation, how important or uh, seriously taken should the labor cup be? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question that anybody that plays yeah. can answer. Um, and, you know, I think uh, very contrasting personalities. Like you said, it's interesting based off of who they are. And I think, you know, we know Monfils thinks of himself as the entertainer. He likes to get the crowd involved. He likes yeah. to do his little tricks like you see him at UCS. He's dancing. He's got, you know, and I think he probably thinks, oh, you know, a, a, a Labour Cup is asking me to participate because of that reputation because the fans like to come and and see him kind of get the crowd involved and see him be a little fun and kind of have some character um you know they they certainly didn't select him because he's the most informed player from europe at the moment who's available to play so i think it's like you know whatever the organizers and the the team selection sort when they selected him maybe their uh, priorities didn't align with you know, the field of players that were, were currently involved and in kind of what their ambitions were for the tournament. And yeah, maybe maybe Monfils was told something a little different before he yeah. was brought into the team. But, you know, either way, I think um, good to see that Ogier Aliasim is, is wanting to be out there, wanting to compete, wanting to change the trajectory of how his tennis is looking at the moment. Obviously, a win over Monfils isn't really going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, catapulting him to new heights per se, but... Um, he needs he needs to find some momentum and some um, improvement in his mental approach. And if he feels like he needs to use an exhibition tournament to uh, get himself right, then so be it. So um, that was kind of the outcome there. And he ended up taking the win. So uh, just a little drama and gossip on the sidelines. But uh, I think it's yeah. it's interesting then to talk about with Labour Cup, um, you know, How's it been going over the last couple of years? Did people enjoy it this year? Um, might there be yeah. a different team captain uh, for Team Europe replacing Borg over the yeah. coming years? Like what that? What's that going to look like? Um, yeah, you know, Federer expressed last, interest. Yeah, and we talked yeah. last week about might this be a tournament that could be a mixed tournament um, and kind of you know evolve in its format as well. So interesting questions coming out at the at the end of this Labor Cup. Yeah, and I, I just got uh, Federer came in. Uh, it was one year anniversary of his retirement uh, yeah. from last year when he retired, and um, I mean he left a mark on the sport that even though he's gone, it's he's never really completely gone yeah. because of how influential he was in some ways you could say. But um, but he did retire last year, and he was saying, hey, maybe I could be captain one day. Maybe I can take over Borg. And Borg is a little bit uh, he's not a McEnroe type where he's like super bombastic in one way it creates a contrast but in the other way you do want somebody who uh is there a little bit more as a spectacle because at the end of the day labor cup is a bit for entertainment and spectacle like you said it is a bit of a glorified exhibition i think with time uh that's going to be the best answer to how seriously the labor cup is going to be taken i think over the next few years we'll get the best answer to it with how much uh, attention is going to be paid to the tournament, how seriously the players take it, who's going to be playing. If we do get a top five player playing into the tournament this year, I think one of the, uh, no, sorry, next year, 
Uh, if we get top five player playing next year, I think one of the big uh, one of the big reasons that Monfils did play was because we did have a few withdrawals going into the tournament. I think Monfils was a bit of a late addition. They probably should have told him something like, uh, "Think of this kind of more closely, like Davis Cup or something," and then maybe he would have taken it a little bit more seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, either way, because at the end of the day, you are playing for a team. But uh, I, w- I would be interested. Let, let us know in the comments what you think and what you think of Labor Cup. That whole kind of FA versus uh, uh, Monfils discussion. Um, but yeah, that was definitely interesting, something interesting that happened. And then, uh, okay, just to round off kind of this week as well, uh, we also had a couple of ATP 250s. We had, um, well, we have a, they, they're going to have their finals tomorrow, but uh, we've had a few results coming in. Uh, next week, we could probably just brush on quickly about kind of what goes down in the finals, who wins those titles. Um, but we have uh, Zverev uh, taking on, uh, who is it, taking on Safulin in the final of uh, Shangdu. And we have uh, uh, Kachanov, um, who is taking on Nishioka in the final of Zhuhai. Uh, Kachanov's back. Kachanov was in great form. He was very promising to me for a long time, uh, really up until he had an injury. It's really good to see him back in form. He, uh, he made the, uh, what was it? He made the semifinals of U.S. Open, Australian Open, made the quarterfinals of RG, played really a fantastic match against Djokovic in the quarterfinals there, who, of course, went on to win the title. Um, but he uh, couldn't go quite all the way, but he was up a set on Novak, uh, nearly went up two sets, but Djokovic uh, got the best of him in a tiebreaker. Um, but he's in good form. Uh, he hasn't, he's only played one tournament since Roland Garros. That was the U S open lost in the first round. Um, but it's good to see that. And then, uh, yeah. And then Zverev continues really good form and, uh, is looking very close to his old self. Do you think he's kind of coming back to like where he was back in the day? I think he's close. Uh, if not there, I'm not sure he's quite there match in match out, but he's coming really close to where he was at. Yeah, I think, I think he is right about there i think you know a player is always going to reinvent themselves a little bit coming back from such a serious injury um i think he's implemented a couple new things in his game he seems much more willing to come forward and come to the net even if he's not winning all the points um he's doing it more often which with a guy his height and his serve he you know should have that type of um skill set in the locker that he should be executing against. So good to see him in that way. He seems to be moving really well. His fitness is much stronger. Um, and, you know, we know what his weapons are. Um, and it's always been a question with him as to how how well he controls his mentals. Um, and, yeah, maybe he's playing with a little bit more joy and a little bit less expectation. Um, I think when players come back from injury, again, there's a new perspective of, like, I'm just really happy to be out here on the court and out here competing as opposed to, you know, sitting on the sidelines. And sometimes uh, it takes an injury like that or a moment in somebody's life to happen in order to, um, you know, be grateful for the situation that you're in and play with a little less pressure and play with a bit more joy. Um, And that's kind of what it seems like he's doing at the moment. He's taking advantage of the tournaments that are available to him and he's, he's making deep runs in the ones he's participating in. So um, yeah, maybe not, you know, 100% the Zverev that was in the semis of Roland Garros, but, um, you know, based off of what he's recovered from and the trajectory he's on, I think, you know, we'll start seeing him well inside the top 10 on a consistent basis now. Um, and whether he's able to push on and, 
and win a big title. That's another question, but obviously he has won the ATP finals a number of times. Um, and so he is in the hunt or in the race to try to get back to that. And he would fancy himself in a round robin format to, um, to pick up another title. So good for him. So he's yeah, on a good run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Zverev, yeah, he's definitely playing more aggressively. Even on the clay course, we saw him coming in a whole lot more. Uh, I remember in his uh, quarterfinal match against Echeverry, which was very, uh, very high level match. He uh, he came in, I think it was 42 times when I think 30, 31, 32, 32 of those points. I remember that statistic. Uh, so he's coming in a lot. Like it, it was crazy how much he was coming in that match. I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think it would be uh, very exciting to see him back. At the top of the game, uh, in the uh, perspective of him taking on players like Novak and Medvedev, he's already had a few epics against Medvedev this uh, this year. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that's exciting. And uh, um, I'd say one uh, one thing uh, is, uh, is Reverend Dimitrov have played a, a few times this year. Dimitrov has uh, really only lost to a lot of top opposition this year. He lost to Dimitrov at – Dimitrov lost to Zverev at Roland Garros. He lost to uh, Zverev. I forget where it was. It could have been Cincinnati or New York, um, but uh, it's not a good matchup for Grigor, who uh, who really is playing great tennis, but he's never going to win on those back end back end rallies. And I think um, Demi, I, I don't know something about the way Zverev just sets up his points and plays aggressively and breaks down Dimitrov's game. I feel like Dimitrov can't break through Zverev's game at all. So shout out Grigor because he keeps losing to Zverev. They played like four, three or four times this year. Uh, it happens. Yeah. Sometimes players have your number, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's like uh Shriantek and Ostapenko. Like how, how on earth does Ostapenko have four or five wins against Shriantek? You know, yeah. like, it, you can give every other player profile and you're just like that's bizarre um but you know some, sometimes that head-to-head -head or that matchup just has a player's number it gets in their head and yeah. um it's just perfectly suited for one over the other so uh yeah Paul Griegel, like right? he's been having a great season yeah i'm mean, like shriant at golf until golf finally got the win so maybe maybe yeah. the beach will find his finest time so yeah. um but yeah that was something and then also in uh and, uh, and then Zhuhai, as I said, Hachanov finally back. Uh, he got the win over Korda yesterday. Uh, Hachanov and Korda have had some epics back in, uh, back in yeah. the day. Uh, but uh, this yesterday was not quite that. But Hachanov has been in really good form. And Nishioka, uh, who hasn't had a great season after a really good season last year, winning Washington, et cetera, uh, but finally finding some of that form. Uh, once again, Karatsev as well. Right there. Yeah. So a uh, few interesting players getting some uh, good runs. And then, uh, all right, let's go to power rankings. Talk uh, quickly about our power rankings for this week. All right, and now for the uh, power ranking section of uh, of the podcast for Tennis 360. So this is based off of Guadalajara. This is based off of um, the couple of tournaments in Chengdu and Zhuhai. And this is also based off of... Um, the uh, the tournament uh, of uh, a labor cup a little bit even though we were saying it is a little bit of a glorified exhibition uh, but it's still a tournament that I feel like you can still put a little bit of weight into and see how the players are playing I mean if you saw for example Fritz taking on Rublev both players were taking it very seriously and for whatever reason it is counted into the ATP head head so uh, those um, those things all take into account. Um, so for the uh, top three, we all have the we uh, me and Eliza both have the uh, we both have the same top three I'm seeing here. Uh, but then when we get to number four, uh, I have Zverev in front of Sinner, um, and uh, Zverev moved up to number four in both of our lists. 
which is uh, which is interesting. Zverev, of course, getting to the final in Chengdu. Um, so it makes sense. And Zverev's been having really, really good form. Uh, uh, Cincinnati semifinals had a close match against Djokovic. Uh, U.S. Open quarterfinals, I'd like to say. U.S. Open quarterfinals. Um, and he's just been playing really well. Good. Also got a uh, title at the German Open against Jera um, of, uh, like a month ago. So, uh, yeah, Zverev's been in really good form. And, uh, yeah, what do, you, what, what do you think about Zverev, if you want to quickly touch upon it? Yeah, I mean, it's what, what we said a little earlier. He's uh, having, a, having a good uh, back half of the season, uh, making the most of his comeback. So, um, yeah, recognizing some some positive performance there and his uh, ability to take advantage of these uh, you know, next couple of tournaments. I would expect him to, you know, kind of continue to play well. It's a little tricky sometimes with these power rankings because, uh, you know, our top players don't play in and out every single week. Um, but some of this is with an eye on uh, the Masters next week. And... Um, you know that's why we, we don't have as much movement in the in the first kind of top ranked couple of players but uh yeah i uh i had rublev over sinner just because uh he was in action this week um obviously labor cup but still still like to give a little bit of a nod to the folks who are competing um same thing with me moving fritz up one got a got a good win there um at labor cup so he's he's competed he's he's moving um, and then I, then that's kind of where we have some differences. I, right as I was looking at this for a second time, I was like, you know, it's interesting. Neither of us have Rude or Runa inside our top 10 for the power rankings. And those are two players that, you know, are just about inside the top 10. Um, but, yeah. you know, haven't, Runa's not had a, a win since Wimbledon. Um, he's been nursing a back injury, a nasty one to be fair to him. But, um, you know, he's he's not having a good back half of this season and rude similarly uh exited early at the u.s open um he did manage to beat tommy paul so maybe he deserved a nod this week over paul um but i don't know i i fancy the momentum of paul at the moment especially on the hard courts i think that's his surface and uh, again yeah. I, you know, I don't know how much emphasis to put on an exhibition match right. um and i uh I see you you snuck in Hachanov. I snuck in Shelton. I just wanted to give another nod to him. He's just so much fun to watch um, watch him play. And I, I really think hard courts are his surface. You know, this was his first year on the tour. It doesn't surprise me that he didn't have any wins on clay or grass courts, really, uh, or not more than a handful. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's getting familiar with the tour. Um, you know, I'm not sure how he'll do in the Asian swing, given kind of travel for him and back off of this season. He might be a little tired, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I think he really has the game, um, to progress from here. And I, I hope he takes advantage of, uh, you know, his new high, high ranking and, um, can kind of push on and continue to rise up. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, uh, I think Shelton's a, Shelton is definitely a good choice. I mean, he had the winning shot of the labor cup, uh, putting team world to victory. He had a lot of matches there. He also had the first win of labor cup as well. Just reached semifinals of the U S open. So that makes sense to me. Um, for sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had, uh, I had Hachanov coming in because he's only played one tournament. Uh, this is only a second tournament since Roland Garros up until Roland Garros. He was playing phenomenal semifinals of uh, where was it? Either Indian Wells or Miami. I believe it was Miami semifinals, Miami. And then also um, he, uh, or sorry, semifinals. Of, it was Indian Wells semifinals of Indian Wells. And then also, like I said, been doing really well at the major. So his results were there. 
Um, really impressive game as well uh, yeah, from the back of the court, especially. But this week, I mean, his net game has been really showing as well. He's been coming in a lot um, on the faster courts. Um, so uh, I-, I wanted to give a nod to Hachanov. And then also Fritz. Fritz really impressed me in that win against Rublev at the Labor Cup. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to move Fritz up. And uh, I wasn't feeling that crazy about Demon or Rublev right now. So, um, And then Tiafo. I also moved Tiafo in. Uh, and I knocked out a few players. I wasn't that crazy about Rublev or Demon or so I moved them down. Then I, I also moved down uh, Tommy Paul as well as Dimitrov was in there. And I felt like Tiafo had a good week at Labor Cup. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I was at on the men's side. I felt like Fritz can move up. But like we were saying the other weeks, outside of the top three players in the world, even the top four or five players in the world, I feel like it. You, it's really hard to say who really gets in there. It's just whoever catches your eye in the moment. And uh, for me, I feel like those players like Taylor Fritz, Rublev, Demonor, uh, they've been having good enough results that I can, I feel comfortable still keeping them in there. Um, Demon Orb in Los Cabos in Canada having good results uh, like I mentioned Kochanov before the injury so uh, those were some of my uh, men's players yeah and looking at the WTA um, <laughs> neither of us have many movers but we have new additions yeah. so both of us put Sakari into our top 10 uh, you have her at 6 I have her at 7 you know capturing a first 1000 title that's great um, you know I think she's continuing to compete post that US Open as we talked about so um, to me fully deserving to, to be inside um, our power rankings for this week and I also added in Kenan and Garcia I know you added Kenan as well um, Kenan's had you know two back-to-back tournaments where she's uh, made good runs and I think she's um, you know she's shown over the last two slams as well that she's um, she's in and amongst it and she's on the road to recovery um, her new new ranking inside the top 40 is gonna um, help her out a lot with draws moving forward, which should help her to continue to climb the ranks. She certainly has the skill set to be um, a top 20 player next year. And um, Garcia, I, I wanted to give a nod to her for having a good run in a 1000 tournament, um, kind of regrouping again post US Open and getting over some personal um, situations that are, are challenging. So to me, I felt, um, I think I swapped her with Madison Keys, uh, who, who just didn't compete this week. So um that's why i don't have her up in my lineup but i think keys is still another one to watch for these upcoming tournaments as well she's certainly um closing in on a top 10 spot and uh things are tight at that end of the um of the rankings for the women yeah that's and keys has certainly been like a top 10 top 15 mainstay big hitter but i can understand yeah i kind of probably prioritized a little bit more kind of um even if they haven't played this week but with power rankings it makes sense to put in the players that actually had good performances this week yeah similar for me i had Zachary and then i also had um kenan coming in uh, sophia kenan really impressive in her comeback i mean she had the win over sablink in rome where she looked really good but then since then she was kind of up and down but in the last like three four tournaments she's uh, only been on the up uh, U.S. Open, an obvious one, but uh, in other tournaments as well. Um, so uh, shout out to Kenan. Um, and uh, yeah, those were uh, Sakari has to be in there. I mean, she's even though Sakari hasn't been winning titles, let alone winning the WTA 1000s where she's been reaching the finals. I mean, she's been a top player and she was as high as number three in the world last year. So uh, it only makes sense to put Sakari back in. Also, she had the Washington uh, final. I didn't put Garcia in, but that's only because Garcia hasn't been doing it that much week in, week out. I felt like this, uh, if she shows it to me again, then I'll definitely put her in. But 
she had a good week. Uh, she didn't have to face that much top opposition, but still uh, run to the semis. Um, is a good result for her and better than uh, what we've seen uh, recently from her. Um, but yeah, that was the uh, that's the power rankings. All right, and um, moving on, we can talk about what's coming up this week so we're going to split up kind of our upcoming section and the culture section to kind of give you guys a really good preview of what's to come um often from an outsider perspective with tennis people think oh grand slam season's over things are kind of wrapping up nothing really counts well things count and things are getting serious when it comes to players trying to finish their year inside the top 10 and also trying to qualify for the year-end finals So we'll split it up into talking about what's coming up this week. Then we'll look at the details of that race and then we'll talk about the Masters to finish it off. So on the WTA side, um, we have, so there, sorry, there's a WTA 500 and ATP 500. And then there's also 250 tournaments that are happening side by side. So for the WTA 500, we're in Tokyo. Um, some controversies here because they have decided to implement performance buys. Um, This is something I had to look into because I also didn't really understand it. Performance buys essentially give a buy to a player who's competing and has performed well in in a tournament that happened the previous week. And this rule has been around, I think, since like 2009, but they haven't They don't always consistently use performance buys for tournaments. So I'm still a little confused as to when the WTA decides to use them and not use them depending on the tournament. And it also depends on how the WTA schedules their tournaments for that year. Having said that, though, um, it is Sakari and Garcia who received performance buys um, and in particular, uh, the player who was frustrated as a result of this was Elena Rybakina. Rybakina being ranked number four or five in the world. Um, she did not receive a bye despite her ranking being higher than Sakari and Garcia. And um, that's because she did not play the Masters tournament in Guadalajara. And so they gave the nod to the players who did. From from a kind of outsider's like perspective, initially looking at this, I'm like, you know what? Like, these players are in Mexico and they have to get to Tokyo and start playing. And they just, you know, played a final on Saturday afternoon. That's an insanely fast turnaround. That's halfway across the world. The time difference is massive um, and players need more than 24 hours to be able to recover. I mean, it would be crazy for Sakari to be playing today in Tokyo, having played a Masters 1000 final on Saturday afternoon. Um, So to me, it seems fair but then you also have you know Rebecca has posted on social media so has her coach and um, basically being like isn't your ranking your performance by like haven't I earned that based off of the fact that I'm higher ranked and I've been playing all these tournaments and performing well so like what's the difference um and yeah. I, I also understand that point of view because it's like she's done that over a whole season uh she's in this position because she's been at a high level performance for a consistent amount of time and they're giving preference to somebody who just had a good week last week so interesting kind of um controversies there but at the end of the day it didn't even matter because rebecca has now completely pulled out the tournament citing niggling injuries that are ongoing and so she's she's not competing haven't already qualified for the wta finals so 
um, perhaps yeah. she doesn't have much incentive left to play. Yeah. But she did mention on her Instagram story, she said, you know what, I'm pulling out of uh, the, I'm pulling out of Tokyo, but you know what, I'm still upset and I'll be talking about, I'll be talking about the situation with the WTA and the fact that they didn't let me play in the tournament. I think that uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, situation anyway. I think if you have rules, then you should have consistency with them. So I think that that's yeah. something that I think uh, with both tours, I think we could have more transparency and more consistency uh, across the board with the rules that they're put, they are putting in place. I think that that would be something that would be good to have. And uh, to be honest, I think, um, I think, although I understand the difficulty and logistics of players like Zachary and players like um, Garcia, who are going across the, across the world, basically to travel. Um, it is them uh, who scheduled their tournaments like that. And although I understand the difficulties there anyway, I would say that you, you have to, um, if you are helping certain players out, it has to be around the parameters that you aren't making it unfair or hurting another player who do, do deserve those buys anyway. So Rabakna, uh, for example, she should have a buy with where her seating and her ranking is at. I just think that that should remain. And outside of that, you can help out those players who are traveling, if that makes sense. But you you but you can't you can't hurt Rabakna in the way. So I felt like it was an unfair. Uh, unfair towards uh, Yelena Rabakna. I feel like we have to have consistency with the rules. I feel like we have to have transparency. And also I feel like um, making it so that uh, the uh, making it these performance buys kind of put Rabakna kind of at an unfair kind of side uh, side of everything. Yeah, I think you make a fair point. And um, yeah, I think either way that just needs to be more consistency. Obviously they're trying to incentivize players playing more tournaments, not opting out of tournaments. Um, you know, it's tricky. I, I I just think there needs to be more intentionality and more planning. You know, perhaps if you've got a tournament, especially a Masters tournament, who you would hope most of your WTA, you know, top players are going to play, which didn't happen this year. Maybe one could have thought, ah, let's start the tournament on a Tuesday and finish on a Sunday instead of do a Monday to a Saturday type of format. Just uh, kind of some small adjustments either way to try to allow enough time um, for players who are playing in both tournaments. But as you say, you know, at the end of the day, uh, players choose for the most part which tournaments they're going to compete in other than the compulsory or mandatory ones. And so, um, you know, if Sakari took a look at the schedule and thought, I'm going to play Guadalajara and Tokyo, then she might have factored in that, you know, if I win this tournament, perhaps I would pull out of Tokyo or, um, you know, uh, it's confusing as to why the performance-based buy is implemented at some stages of the year and not others. Uh, we didn't see that with the back-to-back -back masters in uh, Cincinnati and Montreal. Um, so I'm, I am still confused and don't have a complete answer as to like when they implement these things. Um, is it because of time travel and distance between the tournaments? Um, because it seems like it was on the fact sheet for a while, but, uh, strange to kind of see it implemented and then as you say hurt a top player like that um she she would have she was drawn against i think it was noskova who's who's a decent young player as well so that wouldn't have necessarily been an easy first round match for rebecca who has had some injury struggles so she brings up a fair point and kind of interested to see how the wta is going to react to that yeah uh yeah i agree with everything i think um yeah, it's just uh, we do want more transparency as to when the rules are implemented. And we'll see what comes of that if Rabakna mentions that again. Yeah, so we've got 
just to finish off on Tokyo and Japan, that we do have top seeds competing here, Shriantek and Pagula back in action as well. So a couple of good matches to pay attention to. Then we've got the 250 WTA tournament that's happening in China. Top seed over there is going to be Jabor. She desperately needs points, as we'll take a look at. Kabitova takes the number two seed, um, and Kostea is in the in the mix as well after she had a good run in New York. Um, on the ATP side, we also have a 500 that's in China, um, and then a 250 that's in Kazakhstan. So in China, we have Alcaraz, Medvedev, Rude, Runa, question marks a little bit there, and Sinner amongst those who are scheduled to play. The draw for that is coming out tomorrow. Um, and qualifying is also happening tomorrow with Vukic, Wolf, Purcell, and Arnaldi in action. Uh, top seed in Kazakhstan is going to be Greek Spore, along with Baez, Manorino, Bublik, Korda, Lahechka. Um, and Dominic team is also in the draw with a potential tasty second round matchup with Vavrinka. Uh, Vavrinka is going to face uh, Giron in the first round, um, but winnable match for him. So that could set up an interesting uh, second round match. So with that being said, let's take a look at the race for the WTA and ATP finals before we preview the Masters that are coming up next week. Um, so starting with the WTA side, already qualified, we have Sabalenka, Shriantek, Goff, and Rabakna. These Those who qualify are our top eight players. So in the mix for qualification are Pagula, Von Drusova, Mukova, Jabor, this is all in order, by the way, Sakari, Keys, Kvitova, and Bencic. So we've got a couple more 500s, couple 250s, and then one more Masters left to go um, in order to finish up qualification. Do you have a gut feel on which of these names are going to round off the top eight? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, interesting question. Although uh, I would note that Ange Jabor at eighth is uh, a good 300 points ahead of Sakri at ninth, and Sakri is a good uh, 300 points ahead of Keys at 10th. So that yeah. I think is important to note. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it should be interesting. I mean, Zachary is certainly finding good form and momentum. I'm unsure about Jabor at the moment. So I think Jabor is somebody who honestly could be a little bit of a uh, liability there. Uh, somebody that could be mm -hmm. passed. I think Von Drusova, although Von Drusova played well at US Open. So I don't know if that's fair necessarily to say that she might be, uh, have a, uh, that I should have a distinct worry that she might drop off. But um, yeah, if I was to guess, I would think Zachary would be my gut feeling that she's going to continue off the moment momentum. I, like I said, if she didn't win that title in, uh, in Guadalajara in Mexico, then you never know. But I think that not only is that a win that's important for her to not um, kind of fall off in these finals and just start having a lot of really kind of substantial mental baggage that will really put a permanent kind of marker on her career. I think also it's a, a very positive thing in which I think uh, finally getting it done is going to li lift a giant weight off her shoulders and be like, hey, I'm here. I've been number three in the world. I can win these titles. And the fact that she knows now that she can for sure win these titles is a big weight lifted off her. And I think it's going to be a lot of momentum moving forward. So I got Zachary on the women's side. And uh, but I would also shout out Madsen Keys uh, as well at 10th. Uh, but my gut mm -hmm. feeling goes for Sacker. And I think she will pass at ninth in the in the race right now. We'll pass Jabor at eighth. Although uh, hopefully Ons can pick it back up. But that's my gut. Yeah. Interesting. So I think um, 
Pagula is definitely going to qualify. She could get qualification wrapped up this week with a good performance in Tokyo. Um, and I would expect her to, to get things done. Um, and then, yeah, I think the names that, you know, could shift around are from Bondrusova, Mukova, Jabor, and Sakari. I, as you say, I think Keys is a little bit out of touch. I would be surprised if she, you know, made two deep runs at this stage in the season. Uh, I think Von Drusova just needs, um, you know, a couple more decent performances and she'll be in a safe space. So it for me, as you say, it's Jabor who's really the one that's at risk. I think that's why she's playing the 250 this week and not the 500. I think she's just trying to, um, you know, rack up some points and try to get her into a safe zone, um, get herself into a safe zone and gamble that, you know, Sakari won't have a good week in Tokyo given um, her deep run in Guadalajara. So um, interesting to see how those, um, how the women's kind of race is going to come to a head. And their Masters is starting in Beijing next week. And as I mentioned earlier, we haven't had any player win two Masters titles this year. So it's very much up for grabs. Um, hard court, uh, different kind of environments and conditions. I think Guadalajara was very high altitude, which would suit Sakari's game. So interesting again to see how she might perform um, at a more of an indoor-based tournament in China. Um, so a yeah. lot still for the women to um, compete for. And, you know, somebody could have, a good month and and make a surprise run inside that top eight because things are really not wrapped up yet um yeah, on the ATP side uh in terms of qualification we've already got alcaraz Djokovic, and medvedev who are 100 qualified and then our list again it's pretty tight between the fourth and eighth spot we've got senna yeah. rublev Sitsipas. Don't know how he's still in there. <laughs> Zverev, Runa. And then uh, the next block is Fretz, Rude, Demonor, and Paul. I, I would say that is very congested between the five and the nine spot. I mean, there's barely, you know, a uh, hundred points between some of these players. Um, and a good run at a Masters and a good run at a 500 here could really shake things up. I think for me, the ones that uh, I would worry about wobbling is Runa. Um, sits a pass yeah. potentially, and I I don't have much hope for Rude to get himself back into the mix. I think Taylor Fritz he's only um, forty five points behind Runa. Um, given his form, good match against Rublev, good run at the U.S. Open. Um, he doesn't have to play his nemesis Djokovic, who seems to always wipe the floor with him. So. Good opportunities. Also, Djokovic is not looking like he's going to be playing that 1000 tournament in Shanghai. He hasn't confirmed yet, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he's oh. not. Yeah, he, he confirmed he's out. He's out of Shanghai now. Okay. So, yeah, just yeah, three, three tournaments left. Shanghai with no Djokovic in the mix, um, which hopefully, you know, makes it for an interesting tournament. Um, Medvedev defends the title there. Um, hard court surface. Uh, Zverev, again, opportunity to kind of push on here and, and try to make it inside that um that finishing in in the top eight so really interesting yeah. way to round up the year between um these players and as i mentioned at the beginning you know people think that the tennis is over after the slams and it's very much not still a lot to play for still a lot on the line tired legs involved and so these players are going to want to try 
to get one of these two tournaments under their belt with a good run so that they can finish up qualification and take a week or two off before finals um, in October, November. Yeah. I think that, I think the really interesting thing is that um, not only is it super tight, but also you, you don't really know who's in form and who's in form going into the indoor tournament specifically, which I think makes it yeah. really interesting coming into Shanghai. I think, um, that uh, Runa, for example, you would think he's doing going to do really well on indoors, but I, actually for him, the health side is more of a factor. For Tsitsipas, you might you might say the mental side is probably more of a factor for yeah. Tsitsipas. Um, yeah. So it's like you don't you don't really know for sure. Um, I mean, I would I would think that Sinner uh, Sinner is going to qualify. It seems like he's almost yeah. he's nearly a thousand yeah. points ahead of uh, the person in fifth. So. He, he has a good chance of qualifying. And then Rublev and Tsitsipas are pretty far above the board. I would agree. I don't really know how Tsitsipas is that far up, although Australian Open Final would definitely be a good reason as to why. But I, aside yeah. from that, I don't know I don't know where he got the other 2,000-some points from. But uh, that's uh, the uh, – but, yeah, I mean, all these players, it should be interesting. Zverev is doing well. He's climbing up in the, uh, in the rankings. He's at seventh in the race at the moment. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I think uh, I think it's up for grabs. I think it is up for grabs uh, up until, for example, the 12th spot with a guy like Tommy Paul, Alex Demonor, two guys that really love the indoor cor- indoor events. Uh, stranger things have happened, especially with a lot of the players above them being out of form. For example, if Tispas and Runa don't find it together towards the end of the season, then that could be two spots open in the top eight. And just with one or two really good runs from Demonor and Paul, Demon already reaching a Masters final. You never know. Stranger things have happened, but I think it'll be interesting. I don't really know exactly what's going to happen, which makes it super interesting going into uh, Shanghai yeah. on the men's side. I would expect Zverev, Sinner, Rublev, and the uh, big three of the season, Medvedev, Djokovic, and Alcaraz, who already are in there qualifying. Um, but yeah, after that, Runa Tsitsipas uh, could be replaced by any of the names, Fritz, Rude, if not Demon or Paul. So it's, it's going to be very yeah. up, in the, up in the air. And uh, like you said, it's not finished after uh, after the majors. The tennis season keeps going, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit unfortunate that the majors are so um, there's such a big disparity in between the hype for the majors and then yeah. also the hype for the uh, the masters. So I think that that's a bit unfortunate, but uh, they still have the uh, highest level players in the player uh, highest level players in the world playing. And um, also you have different services, different crowds, different atmospheres, different stories, different things going on. So these tournaments should always be interesting uh, for the person who really cares about the sport. And uh, yeah, and uh, we'll see which players get the points to get to the finals. Yeah, for sure. And it's worth them also keeping their name in the mix, even if they don't get that automatic qualification. It does happen that players get injured and pull out. Alcaraz wasn't able to play ATP finals last year, um, which allowed Fritz to get in the mix. Um, so you never know. Uh, you want to be in, in and around that. You certainly want to finish in the top 10 if you can. And um, so really good opportunity for, for some of these young guys to get in and um, try to kind of uh, solidify their name um, and, and place within those rankings. So. Exciting end of the season certainly makes it an interesting watch and um, a lot of good tennis left to play before we uh, head into the winter break. Yeah, I just want to admit, yeah, Alcaraz didn't play last year, so we could see him for the first time at the ATP finals. That would be exciting as well. And I think uh, 
indoor hard courts is always uh, faster courts for me make for a lot of really interesting shot making. You have like players at the highest level. I mean, at the lowest level, the faster courts create some pretty abysmal play where it's like they don't really know how to how to play and get the shots in. But at the uh, highest level, the players have to improvise. They have to adapt. And that really creates for some really interesting shots, creative shots. And uh, I think the indoor hard courts are going to be really interesting to see even faster courts of Shanghai. So super excited. And also on the women's side with Beijing and uh, the indoor courts for them as well. Um, but yeah, this has been Tennis 360. Uh, I've been Anthony Hirsch. And I'm Eliza Westgate. And thank you guys for watching. Don't forget to like the like the video if you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe as well. We'll have more stuff coming up. We will be covering Shanghai. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well, um, where we do coverage and all of that. Follow us on socials. And uh, yeah, see you guys at the next one. See you guys.